Any views, thoughts, or opinions expressed on the Rejuvenating Health podcast are solely that of the speakers and are intended as such. Please contact your trusted medical practitioner for medical advice. Let's go, girls. Hey, ladies. Welcome back to the Rejuvenating Health Podcast. I'm Shauna, and as always, I'm here with nurse practitioner Lindsay Van Schoik. And today we have our host is Dennis Moroda, and he is a previous middle school principal, and he has a podcast him and his brother do building men. And now Dennis goes into middle schools and high schools and does motivational speaking and helps coach young men. So we're excited to have you on the podcast today. Shauna, thank you. Lindsay, yeah. thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah welcome. So awesome. Yeah. yeah. So ladies, we brought him on because most of us are parents or have young men in our lives and we want to help raise them um, to be good, strong men. And so he's just, we're just going to talk about that today and dive into it and maybe talk about how to teach your kids about some health strategies. I know that's something that a lot of us struggle with. Um, so like I struggle with this. I have a 12 year old and he is obsessed with football. Like he, he loves the Ohio state Buckeyes. He, he wants to play there, but he's a short little kid, poor guy, but we have to have this conversation with him a lot in that if you don't take care of your body, you're not going to be like the best athlete that you want to be. So <laughs> this kid lives off chicken fries, like chicken fries and popcorn is like the only thing he will eat. And like, it's not from lack of healthy food in our house because my husband and I are like so healthy, but getting him to eat healthy and see the value in what you put in your body and you can't play video games all day and then want to be this athlete is like pulling your hair out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see it with Brody too, for sure. It's a hard age too, you know? Yeah. But Brody's really good at sports, but it'll catch up to him one day. Yeah. I always tell them like, you need to eat protein. That's, I think that's the big thing. Like Brody will eat protein, but it's like chicken nuggets or something. And like, you have to, if you want to get to the level, if you want to play college baseball, which Dennis was saying earlier, as we were talking that he did. And I was like, if you want to get there, there are things that you have to do, you know, just the same with anything. But so tell us a little bit about how you got into it. A little bit about you. Sure thing. Yeah. I, um, as we were getting to know each other before we started recording, I was sharing my experience growing up and I didn't have the father figure in my life who was a positive role model for me. It was more abusive, emotionally, verbally abusive. Uh, so I, there was a lot of resentment there. And I talk a lot about these three thieves in our lives that uh, get in the way of success. And I call the three thieves resistance, distraction, and victimhood. And when you think about it, you both have sons, think about things that are getting in their way, it would likely fit into one of those three categories, resistance. They don't want to do the hard things, distraction, it's video games, it's eating the chicken fries, it's, you know, as they get older, pornography, right? And victimhood, it's, it's your fault, mom, it's a teacher's fault, it's a coach's fault. So I was in that area in my life for a long period of time, how I grew up. And so I also have a younger brother who's 14 years younger than me, one of the co-hosts on the Building Men podcast as well. And I was determined to not let him go through the same things that I went through with my father. So I, I took on a role of his, his older brother and his father figure as, as I was growing up, which was, it was cool for me to see him grow up, but then also a lot of responsibility, right? A lot of responsibility, young age. So when I went into 
I played uh, high school basketball, baseball. Baseball was my sport, my love. I, you know, ate, breathed, and slept baseball. I wish that I had some training thoughts like we do now. I wish I trained when I was in high school. Um, you know, I would go to the gym a little bit. I would eat a little healthy, but it wasn't part of who I was. Um, and so I went into into college to become a teacher and a coach. That was what I I just I wanted to to work with with athletes in some way. And I thought teaching was my quickest route there. And so while I was in school, I did a, um, a coordinate major in sociology. I was fascinated by social groups and social group dynamics. And I did this this major in sociology, and I got an internship at a at a halfway home for at risk boys. And this this halfway home was a safe space for these kids to go after school every day from like three o'clock till ten or eleven o'clock at night. And so the boys were there; they were middle and high school boys. They were there because they were either the victims of a physical or sexual abuse or neglect. So the court said you need a, a space away from home to go and be safe, or they had committed a crime. And the court said you need to go and like rehabilitate at the space. So I was surrounded by kids with some really tough backgrounds, some tough upbringings, kids that were going home and not knowing safety. And in the beginning, I was really overwhelmed by this and I was a deer in headlights. And the more that I got comfortable there, I was watching some you know, clinically trained psychologists and social workers understand how to interact with these boys to, to help pull them out of the shell, help them understand, again, back to those three thieves, a lot of them were experiencing those things as well. So I was learning little tricks of the trade. And then all of a sudden, as this, this internship progressed, they hired me as a van driver. So now I'm driving into really tough spot, spots in South Jersey in a big white, like stranger van, like 12 yeah person stranger van and i'm picking these kids up from school and then i'm driving them back to this place and they would spend the next seven hours there eat dinner and they would go through these sessions again i'm like observing everything that's going on and then something magical started to happen on the van rides home they started to talk to me about things that they weren't talking to these people that had advanced degrees in psychology and social work and then all of a sudden they're like take the long way home and then they were like, can I be the last one that's dropped off so I have some time just to talk to you about that? And I'm 21 years old, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm barely like hanging on myself. And so I've just put it in the back of my mind. One day I'm going to do something with this. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be, but one day I'll do something along these lines. So fast forward, I, I teach in Central New Jersey. I teach at a middle school. My third day teaching was September 11th of 2001 in Central New Jersey. So the, the anniversary just passed. And so now I'm recognizing I had kids in my school that were impacted. They had family members that died in the World Trade Center attacks, right? So I'm also recognizing I need to create a safe space for the kids in my class. Like safety was such an important need that these kids had to have met. So I decided right then and there for me in, in education, it was going to be about connections over curriculum. Like I, kids need to be known. We need to know something about them. If they get some of the math, social studies, language arts, you know, science, that's great, but they need to learn the real stuff in life first and foremost. So that will all be always was how I led in my classroom and then went back and got my master's degree in school leadership and became a school principal pretty quickly. I was 28 years old as a, as a school principal. And wow. now in 2005, when I walked in the door the first year as a school, as a school principal, 
I recognized 90% of my day was with like 30 boys who were out of control. You know, they were coming to school late, not coming to school, fighting, getting tossed out of class, being disrespectful, stealing things. It was a total disaster. So I decided to do something about it. I said, I'm going to start a boys group and uh, I'm going to invite all the boys to join the group. And in the school, there was already a girls group. Our guidance council ran a girls group called Girls Speak Out, which was awesome. And like probably a lot of the things that you're talking to your listeners about, um, a lot of it was about healthy habits and, and you know like what they're seeing in society and body image and you know mindset. And so when I opened up this boys group, all the boys joined. All of them joined. I had like 200 boys in this group. And the reason they joined was because the girls had their group and they're like, all right, we want our group to go talk about the girls. And they thought we were going to come in and like, you know, Hugh Hefner smoke cigars and look at Playboys, you know, as the boys group or whatever. But I was like, all right, first tell me what is what does it mean to be a man? I'd love to hear what you thought. And a lot of it went back to how I was raised by my father and things that he held to be important. And the three things the boys were telling me was you have to be physically dominant, the best athlete. You have to, you know, be strong, be able to kick other people's butts, have the six pack, you know, be able to fight everyone. So it was like physically dominating other people. The sex the second one was sexual conquest. You have to be with the most girls or the hottest girls. So it was like notches on the belt that they thought that that is what made a man. And I remember hearing that back when I was younger, like, oh, he is the man. Do you see who he got with? And then the third one was like the accumulation of material things. Like if you have to have the car and the house and the watch and the bling and the sneakers and the whatever, and those things made you a good man. And I challenged them to think about, all right, if those things are taken away from you, what happens if you're not able to run fast or bench anymore or what happens if there's some kind of illness that you have and you're not able to you know like whatever perform sexually that like you once were able to what if you lose your job or the stock market crashes what then how are you going to look at yourself in the mirror and see yourself as a man if that's what you're valuing masculinity around i said so let's let's change the narrative on that let's start thinking about masculinity in ways of like things that are inherent in us like being accountable being authentic, like look at yourself in the mirror and like, who is that person being, you know, committed to, to a larger purpose in yourself, having self-discipline, being resilient, serving a greater purpose in the world. So what can you do to help another person breathe easier because you're here on this planet? And I'll tell you in one year, starting that program, the school changed. I had like a pretty significant discipline problem in the school. And in one year, the suspension rate in the school dropped 75% in one year. And the kids that were a part of the program, which were almost all the boys in the school, their grades started to race. They started to come to school on time. They weren't getting into fights because they recognized we're all experiencing similar things in our life. We're all having similar challenges and we have similar fears. And once they saw themselves as part of this community, they didn't want to let me down. They didn't want to let them, them, their partners down in the group and then they didn't want to let themselves down so that's a little bit of a backstory about where it came from and you know we could talk about a million different things i'm sure from there but that was it's been my you know what what i mentioned i knew that there was some way that i could help young men in some capacity i think a lot of it is i still exist in like a 15 year old's mindset a lot of things that i enjoy and think are funny as well which helps me connect with the boys yeah no that's awesome that is amazing and that's I don't know. Like I see like such a huge need in my community for that. Um, like it, it you, we, I have a community where like the kids are either neglected, like you said, 
or there's this huge sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. where their parents have a good job and they get to drive around nice cars and they think that they're entitled to everything. Um, And I know my husband saw it too. Like he, he coached um, some boys in the high school for football and he's like, gosh, I like, I don't need to coach them on their fitness. I need to get into their heads and coach them on that. Uh, But it's hard because how do you get it? young men to to do that because I think that's hard it's like if you were to start that they'd be like I'm not doing that like I don't want to do that type of stuff so for that there's like three things that I would say to parents the first one is don't push the kids you need to pull the kids kids are like lessons I believe are caught and not taught with our own kids so if you say to your kids don't eat the chicken fries get up early blah blah but you're eating chicken fries and you're slamming down Wendy's and Whoppers and drinking a six-pack every single night and you're telling your kids not to do that they're like bullshit right there so what are you doing as a role model for your kids you can only take your kids as far as you have gone right and so like think about if you're telling your kids like okay this fitness is really important and you're sitting on the couch every night binging netflix shows or are you the type of parent that gets up early and goes to the gym and eats healthy your kids are watching those lessons so that's one of the things that i would definitely say the second thing is Delaying gratification is such an important part, especially for boys and adolescents. Like they don't get the dessert until they're finished with their dinner. Like they don't get the the, the game or the activity until they're done with their chores. It's a lot harder for us as parents to hold the line. It's easier to say like, all right, fine, go ahead and do it. I don't want to deal with it, That's but it's a disservice to the kid. <laughs> and every time that you do that, it like they, they learn, they're learning all the time with what we're doing. So if they found a little way to, you know, the weakest link in the chain kind of thing, like, all right, if I talk to mom after this, when she's had a tough call, she's more likely to give in because of whatever. So they're learning. Kids are aggressive negotiators, so they're learning all the time. It's harder for us as parents to do that. But especially if you're with your spouse or your partner, like be really intentional about these are the things that we're going to do to hold the line. And then the last thing for that aspect, as far as parenting is help kids understand it's so important to navigate discomfort, um, to really lean into intentionally uncomfortable situations, not only physically, right? To like do something hard. Also, like, do something uncomfortable. It might be speaking publicly. Um, it might be having a conversation with someone out in public that they've never met before. So you're in Starbucks with your kids. Have a conversation with the person who's taking the money from you or, or whatever. Um, maybe that's uncomfortable. That's so awkward, brah. That's so awkward. Well, this is what we're going to do today. So watch me do it. Like, I believe in this gradual release of responsibility. I do. We do. And then you do. All right. So now it's your opportunity to, to have that conversation as well. And the more that we do that, we're training kids' brains in this in these formative years. I mean, I could get into a little bit of like neurobiology here, but when kids perceive a task as hard, and we tell them like this is what is in front of you, chopping this cord of wood is going to be really hard, and then we're going to stack it. This is a really hard thing we're going to do. Mm-hmm. When they have a task in front of them that they perceive to be hard, and they see that through to fruition, even if it takes them a long time. So the lawn needs to be mowed. Oh, it's going to be hard. Yeah, it is. But you're stronger than that is hard, and I believe in you. Once they do that and they're able to complete it with our support, it lays this train track in their mind that there was something really challenging, and they were able to do it. So the next time that they perceive something to be hard, they've already gone through the hard thing and finished it. So it's easier for them the next time. Conversely, if they think of something is going to be hard and they don't finish it, 
because we're like, all right, fine, I'll mow the lawn. I'll take care of it for you. What it happens is it, it interrupts that train track in their head. Now there was something hard. They stopped it. Now there's like a, a little cliff or a divide there. So the next time something is hard, they're more likely to give up. So there's just a couple things for kids as far as parents is, you know, navigating those uncomfortable things, a couple strategies that we can use. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. I see that a lot in my daughter. She's 14. So she's a freshman and she is like, she's an amazing cheerleader. And so we take her to all these camps for her like college clinics to do stunts. And the first couple of camps, she would like sit by my side and would not go out and talk to anyone. I'm like, you got to go stretch. Like, mm-hmm. but it wasn't comfortable for her. It wasn't comfortable to, for her. She didn't know anyone there. She didn't have any friends there. And they're all older. But now we've been to like five, six, seven. And I she's like out there. It's not uncomfortable anymore. But I think that is so great for her because it helped break down those walls of like talking to strangers and not being comfortable. And so now I know like, okay, in four years when I have to send her to college, she's not going to have this huge adjustment of like, I don't know anyone. I can't talk to anyone. I'm so uncomfortable. She's so outgoing now that like it just broke down that barrier for her, which is huge because – I am not like that. Like I can talk to anyone I know, but to go up and talk to a stranger is like the most uncomfortable mm-hmm. thing in the world. Now on Zoom, I can, but like if we're in public, it is not comfortable. So getting her to that place where she's comfortable with that is like a huge win for me as a parent because I was never, and I'm still not good at that. Well, it's, but you're, you're, you're doing it now. You're having conversations yeah. we had never met before. So it is, yeah. you are doing it. And here's the other thing too. I believe it's it was kind of the antithesis of how i was raised where my father never there was no vulnerability whatsoever like he was the most perfect man in the world and he did all these things that's what he would tell us basically so i never saw any level of vulnerability and one of the things i think of for young men is to balance the idea of like strength and leadership and stoicism and like you got to show up for your people but also it's okay if you're struggling like, let's normalize, I don't feel okay right now. Um, you know, this is something that I'm really scared of right now, which is one of the reasons why the Building Men program in schools was so successful, because the boys felt comfortable to talk about, I'm really worried about high school right now, or I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. And other kids are like, me neither. I don't, I don't really like that either. Or I'm really worried about my future. What am I, I really have no idea what I'm going to do beyond high school. And the other kids are like, I have that same exact fear right now. So as parents... I think we we have this idea initially that everything has to be perfect. We have every have to have everything together. It all looks has to look a certain way. The countertops have to be granite. The picket fence has to be white, and you know the daisies in the front yard have to look a certain way. But here's the thing: kids are experiencing a lot of challenges in their life. They're they're looking at themselves, not liking what them what they see, just like we are, right? So when we're able to have conversations with our kids and share things that you know, we're struggling with a little bit, not saying like, Hey, we're not going to be able to pay the bills this month. We're going to be out on the streets, but it might be like, you know what? This was a tougher month. So listen, we're not going to be able to go to Chuck E. Cheese three times this month or, you know, eat filet mignon. We're having ramen noodle and you're having peanut butter and jelly tomorrow morning for, you know, or, or for lunch or whatever. And then to also say, when I was your age, I struggled with this myself. I think a lot of times as parents, we we tell our kids the stories of we made the game-winning jump shot or we hit the home run to win the game. Well, mm-hmm. I got up with bases loaded one time and I struck out and I was so upset about it. Like it really bothered me. And I remember looking at the down the third baseline and my father was really upset with me. Just so you know, if you get into an experience like that and you're unsuccessful, 
I'm here to support you through it. I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. So for parents and uh, for Lindsay, like you go into a situation like that, this is really uncomfortable for me to strike up a conversation with whoever's behind the counter, but I'm going to do it because it's a hard thing to do. And I want you to see me do it. Right. Yeah. So it's like little lessons like that for, for parents as well. Yeah, I think that's good. I, we are at my, so my, both my sons play JFL, um, which it's JFL, like football. It's not like competitive at all. But one thing that really, like, one thing that really bothered me last week when I was at the JFL game was I saw parents pulling their kids off of the sideline to like yell at them. Like, and it, that breaks my heart. Like, I see that at sporting events all the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're crushing those. Like, you're taking all the fun out of it and you're devaluing the coaches. But yeah, that was like so hard for me to watch. It's that hits home with me. I mean, I mentioned my father. That was after every game, if I wasn't successful, the just the, the, the ride home from the game, I would be shaking and crying based on what I was hearing from my father. And I, it made me almost not love the game because I was so worried about failing rather than feeling good about potentially finding success with parents like that. If you're the parent that's yelling and screaming at your kid, like take a moment, really like, honestly, take a moment and think about what is your motivation for that? What is your motivation for pulling your kids off the field, yelling and screaming at them, or even on the on the drive home from the game? What is your motivation? Is your motivation to help them get better? Hopefully it is. It's Hopefully it's not to shame them because they fumbled the football in the fourth quarter, right? Obviously they didn't want to do that. I tell parents all the time, I mean, and I'm a little bit nutty in that if I see that, I'll go up to a parent who's yelling at the kid and I'll just be like, listen, this is not about you right now. You had your opportunity to play little league baseball, like let the kid be. And people get pissed at me. They're like, mind your own business. All right. I'm just letting you know, like, this is my area of expertise. I tell parents, do not talk about the game until 24 hours later, unless the kid brings it up. Like you are not allowed to bring up what happened in the fourth quarter. You're not allowed to bring up that they didn't hit the the jump that they were supposed to do or whatever, insert any sporting event there, um, unless the kid brings it up. It's a mistake that I made as a parent with my son, who's now 18 years old. But with my daughters, after a game is over, I'm like, hey, did you have a good time today? Yes or no, whatever. And then I'll just bring up something random. Oh, Greta Van Fleet's in concert. I can't wait to go see them next month in Philly or whatever it is. And then if they're like, dad, can we talk about the game? Sure. What do you want to talk about? And then I'll let them go. And then I ask them, do you want any feedback? Like, I'd be happy to give you feedback. If not, no big deal. I don't like we can talk about it tomorrow or the next day, but I leave it for them. A a need that kids have, I mentioned safety before. Another need that kids have is autonomy to feel like their voice is a part of the space. So even in that, you get the choice if you want to talk about it or not, because if they don't want to talk about it, they're not listening to me pontificate about how I would have done it differently. Or when I was 14 years old, this is what it looked like. So I think in those moments as a parent, get out of your own way. And let your kid guide that conversation. Because really, like, what, are you embarrassed that your kid didn't make the layup? Then you have some work to do on yourself right now. You need to talk to someone to help clear out the the cobwebs that are stuck in your mind. Because there's probably some inner child work that you have to do about a layup that you missed when you were 12 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How did you break that cycle? Like. So you didn't, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard, right? So Mm -hmm. my husband has four brothers and did not have a good growing up. Three of his brothers fell into the cycle. 
and he broke it. So I, I know that you can do it, but I also saw how much he struggled to break that cycle. And he had to do a lot of work on himself. Like he works with an unlifted coach still. Yep. He And then he had PTSD in there from Iraq and stuff like that. So he definitely had to work really hard to break that cycle. But I think for even kids listening to this or parents or whatever, how do you break how do you break that cycle? Cause it's a generational cycle. 100%. And it's like the, the generational trauma. It, for me, it started to show up in really unhealthy ways. Um, as I got into my adult life, just with choices that I was making again, the resistance, distraction, victimhood, I fell prey to those three thieves as an adult. Um, a lot of it was one, um, writing everything down, uh, there's just, oh, there's so much power. Say that, right. It's just so much power. And, as I work with boys that are in my either individual coaching or boys that I work in, in groups with, the first thing that I do is like they have a journal and I talk about the importance of getting the thoughts out of your head. They, otherwise, they just stay stuck in there. We all know been through and, and lifted. There's such power in there. So what I needed to do myself was to go back and like process through all of those situations that I had with my own father and then recognize that it wasn't my fault. Like the things that I went through, they were not my fault. They were based on how my father was raised by his, his parents and abuse that he had suffered. So I understood that. But while it's not my fault, it's 100% my responsibility to deal with. That's where, that's where the, you know, the, the shift happens. And then the, the next level is once you recognize that I need to take radical responsibility for all the stuff that's happened to me, because otherwise it's going to continue to happen. Now I look at it as, Okay, going through that is a privilege. I was able to go through that, take responsibility for it. And based on that, I have the privilege to be able to help other people that might be experiencing the same thing. So in in your life, if there are those things that are getting you stuck, write them down. I work with a coach myself and I coach hundreds of kids, but um, it's writing it down, reading through it, and then recognizing, okay, now I have this this purpose and the privilege to be able to potentially help someone else that's going through something similar. So it's a pay it forward thing moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really great for sure. And I think too, it just, we all get in our own ways and none of us want to do uncomfortable things, right? Even the women that come to us for weight loss or whether they want to get their hormones in check, they don't, nobody wants to do anything uncomfortable. It's always hard to do uncomfortable things, but I think it's good to realize that like, we have to understand that with our children too. And the approach has to be different than what it is. If we're not, if we're pushing them too hard, we can't do that because it's not going to work out in the long run. And many times it's it's the stories that we tell ourselves, right? And it goes back to the enlifted thing. And I mean, I'll I'll continue to preach that until the day I die about how important thinking about the way that we think is. And one thing I believe in as well is we need to recognize, take a step back from ourselves, and recognize that like I am not my thoughts. I am not my feelings and I'm not my experiences. I'm the thinker of my thoughts. I'm the feeler of my feelings and I'm the experiencer of my experiences. And once we could do that as well, we, we separate ourselves from getting stuck in the 12 year old boy who was crying after striking out three times on his way home. Right. That was an experience that I went through, but I am not that experience. It takes, it takes a while. It sounds easier than it really is. Uh, but it's, it's so like, life-changing once you go through that experience and recognize those things. And here's here's the other thing. A lot of the kids that I'm working with, they're experiencing those things right now. Like they're going through the 
dad is screaming and yelling at me and I'm crying on the way home. So if they're able to process through those things now, they don't have to become the 45-year-old guy who's going through it with a wife and kids and all the stuff that's going on there. Like, can we help the kids now process through those things before it starts to build up layers and layers and layers of shit that we have to go through as an adult? Yeah. And that's huge too. And I think that that's so wonderful because I don't feel like there's a lot of outlets like that for boys or girls truly these days. And I just think that's great because kids do need to feel safe and they do need to feel heard. And I don't feel like there's a ton of that, unfortunately. Yep. So that's great. Yeah. And I think recognizing too, that that outlet might not be you. Right. As a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, my kids know I love them, but it might, I might not be that outlet for them to talk to and open up to. There's like, same thing with my husband. Like he knows he can talk to me about anything, but I'm not that outlet for him sometimes. Like, and and that's okay. And it's okay to have your kids have another role model that isn't you. And it's okay to, to do that for your kids and even push your kids toward that, right? Towards that. I totally agree. And when, when we think about it too, like people that have impacted us in our own lives, it was while our parents likely did in positive and negative ways, there was likely a teacher, a coach, a mentor, someone like that, that helped us. And even for my own kids, I might say these things to my kids and they're like, yeah, dad, yeah, dad. But they hear it from my daughter, hears it from her softball coach. My other daughter hears it from her field hockey coach. Now it's like, oh, well, look, look what I just heard. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's our time as parents to be like, okay, I use the acronym Q-tip, quit taking it personally. It's like in those moments, just be happy that your kid learned the lesson. It doesn't yes. have to be like you're the superhero that taught them that lesson. They learned the lesson. That's a really great thing. So it's, sometimes the kids have to hear it from a different voice, said in a different way, in a different type of environment. And that's, that's a good thing when your kids can like recognize that there are other people in their life that could lead them down those paths as well. So it's just, it speaks to the importance of for us as parents, especially there's this, I see a lot of it with potential clients is that if, you know, the, the dad gets involved with like, you know, the, the coaching discovery call, it's like, well, I, you know, I'm the dad here. I could tell him exactly what to do and he's going to listen to me. And I'm like, listen, my kids, my son is 18 years old. I encourage him to have other mentors and coaches as well. Because I know that there are, there are experiences that they've had that if my son hears it in a little bit of a different way, it's going to hit. And that one thing it will could be a game changer for my son. So it's not about me. It's not about like my ego. Like he has to listen to his dad. No, I, like as long as he's getting that lesson, I'm thrilled. And that lesson could, you know, help transform not only his life, but other people that he interacts with moving forward. Yeah. And that reaction yeah. too, I feel comes from people who also have to unpack like and a not great trauma. Well, like a not great role model, like the coach that's like yelling at them at the sidelines yeah. or they're not getting any playing time in the sport or that like, they're just feeling beat down. Yeah. I think that happens to a lot of kids too. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. I agree. This was so awesome though. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about all of this. I think it's something that we need to talk more about, even on the podcast about kids, because a lot of women that we work with, a lot of women that listen to the podcast have children. And I think it's just great to hear different ways to navigate because all kids are different. Like both of my kids, they are completely 
completely different. So I parented one for how many years? And now I have this other one and I'm like, oh, well now I need to learn to parent you because you're completely different than your brother. So I think it's just really insightful. So I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting too, Shauna, because like things that I thought I knew when I was parenting my son, I've learned other ways to do it with my daughters. And so I've changed a couple things like 180. One example is there's a book called Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend if you're a parent, pick up that book or listen to the audiobook. Um, and one reason I'm, I'm calling that out is when we think about um, helping our kids with their self-esteem, um, you know, obviously as parents, we want them to feel good about themselves. I mentioned the developmental needs that kids have. I mentioned safety and autonomy already. Uh, the other three are competence, to feel like you're good at doing things, relationships, and fun. Kids need all those five developmental needs met, autonomy, competence, relationship, safety, fun. Like we need to make sure that they're getting those needs met. If not, if we're seeing behaviors that are off the norm, one of those things is off in my opinion. Um, So as I'm reading this book, I'm recognizing what I would do with my son was I would praise him for who, like his identity. So the things I was saying, you are the, you're the smartest kid in the class. You're the best foul shooter. You're the, you know, you are the best quarterback out there, you know? So I was praising him for like intelligence and, and athletic ability and what that does, believe it or not, we think that that's the greatest thing in the world that we're, you are the best, you're the best baseball player out there. You're the best pitcher in the world. What happens is when they, they attach identity to something that they did. Okay. So your son is a, is a pitcher. He strikes out 12 kids. You are the best pitcher kiddo. You are the, and then the next game he goes out and he walks in a run and he hits two batters and he's taken out of the game in the first inning. Now he is no longer the best pitcher because the best pitcher was him doing all the successful things. So when we praise identity, there's been millions of studies done. It actually is a detriment to kids. They're less likely to take on on harder tasks when they're praised for identity. Um, They're more likely to not take on challenges and they're more likely to lie about the results. It's crazy. What we want to do as parents, we want to praise effort. We want to praise you were successful. You struck out 12 kids. You know why? Or, or ask the question, why do you think that was? Well, I took pitching lessons and I've been eating healthier and I've been, so if we can, if we can attach success to process and effort, that's something that can always happen. So they might not always make the game winning shot, but they can always spend an extra 10 minutes at practice. They can always work hard. So we want to tell our kids, you are a hard worker. You are so resilient. The the work that you put in resulted in whatever the success is. So my daughter is a softball player and she has aspirations to play in the Ivy League. Like that is what she wants to do. And so she had a home run the other day. And I, instead of being like, you are the best uh, you're the number four batter. You're the best kid out there. She had a home run. I'm like, how do you feel? She's like, I feel great. I'm like, why do you think you hit a home run? And she's like, well, the pitcher hung a, you know, a change up and I turned on it or whatever. I said, but, but what was it that got you to that point? And she's like, well, I've been hitting off the tee every day after school for an hour. And I'm like, do you think that that had anything to do with it? Of course it did. So I'm like, let's focus on the process, the effort. So even if she struck out or if she hit a ground ball, I don't want to say, okay, well, you're no longer a good player anymore. Like, okay, is there anything else that we could be doing differently? When we think about the process when we're raising kids, it's always something that they can do. And so when we praise process, 
we we really like understand the effort involved and resiliency that's involved kids that we do that with are more likely to find success and they're more likely to take on harder tasks in the future and they also when they report the results they're 100 percent honest with it as well it was fascinating to me as a former you know educator middle school principal i was all about like looking at the the grades and the scores and the numbers and talking about the intelligence and how good they were and things so I missed the boat. So as a parent, I made a mistake with my son. I apologized to him for that. And I told my daughters, like, I'm never going to say you're the best in the world. You're the smartest kid. You're this and that. We're only going to talk about the effort because it's something you'd always control. Yeah. I think that's so important, though, for everyone to hear, because how many people have identity crises, right? Like you're the starting quarterback and you go to college and you're sitting on the bench your identity is completely gone. I've even seen it. Like a lot of our clients, I was a mom for like, I was a mom for 18 years. Now my kids are gone. I don't have an identity, right? Like so many people or your career, right? Like you're the successful career person and then you're not doing it anymore. Your identity is completely gone. So, so many people get caught up in their identity being and their worth being in this thing that they do rather than the process that they achieved to get there. So I think that's huge for everyone to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So what do you do now? Talk about what you do with kids now in case anyone has a kid sure. and you're like, oh, he needs to go work with him. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do now? So uh, what I do now is um, when I work with kids on an individual basis where it's like I'll, I'll meet with them once a month on average uh, in about an hour Zoom meeting. Um, for a year. So I set up like a coaching engagement for a year because so much happens with kids. So I'm there as a support once a month, like a, a Zoom meeting. And there's a couple of kids in Jersey that I meet face to face and then regular communication, either like a text message or, you know, like a coaching app that will just communicate. Like a kid that I coach right now is 16 years old and he's a, an elite soccer player. So before the, before his game, I'm like, all right, remember, like you put in the time, the effort, the work, like just, you know, go out there and get after it. Doesn't matter how many goals you score, it's about the effort. So that communication on a regular basis. And then when I coach kids individually, I'll have every three months I have a meeting with the parents. Because typically when there's something going on with the kid, there's something, you know, that's going on at home. And what I'll do is I'll make recommendations to the parents based on things that I'm hearing with the with the kid. I also broker difficult conversations. So if the kid's like, listen, you know, I got caught in school vaping and I don't know how to talk to my parents about it. I'm like, I can help you with that conversation. So let's role play it. And then I, I help the parents communicate with the kids on, you know, it's about four times a year. I'll do that. Um, so that's one thing that I'll do. I do a group coaching uh, where I have a group called the foundation. It meets every, every other Sunday. And that's a rolling thing. We do that. You know, we're, we're into the the second half of the, our first year doing the foundation. And I invite on really um, powerful guest mentors to uh, I'll have conversations with them. They give advice to the young men that are part of the group. And then the boys get to ask them questions as well. And so I have a couple of kids in the group who are like starting their own businesses right now. And I just had a guy on that works for uh, go abundance, which is like a tribe of millionaires. He does his own podcast and he does these speaking engagements and he's connected with some of these boys, giving them advice on being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Like they would never have that opportunity. Otherwise I've, you know, they'll be connected with former, you know, NFL and major league baseball athletes, things like that. It's a really cool, experience for the boys so that's once every other week or you know twice a month that i'm that we do the foundation meetings and then the other thing that i do is i go into schools and i do building men in schools so it could be once a month for a full day where i will go in and actually run boy social groups like i'll do that and it's like a train the trainer like i invite um staff members from the school to sit along with me and then after a year like they take it over and they just run with it 
So those are the three things that I'm doing right now. And I'll do some other workshops with educators, just teaching teachers how to teach, mm-hmm. teaching parents some of these these tricks of the trade that I wish I knew like, you know, 18 years ago when my son was born. Um, and then I'm, I'm an Enlifted guy and I do some work for Enlifted and I'm just, there's no Monday for me. I wake up every single day and it's just, I am loving life right now. So it's all, you know, this is four years after leaving being a principal. And at the time I thought, oh my God, I can't believe I made this mistake of leaving. And it's all been, it's, it's been a, a great experience for me. That's awesome. So amazing. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in having your kids work with Dennis or having a conversation with them, I have some links that we'll share to give you um, some discounts for that. I know I'm probably going to sign my son up just because he's 12 and I think it would be super beneficial, um, but we'll post all your links where people can find awesome. you, your podcast. Um, Shauna already listens to it, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. That was so cool. It was so weird. I was like, this voice, I know this voice. And then I'm like, wait a minute. When you said about your brother, cause you guys are hysterical together. And I remember when I first listened, I was trying to figure out the connection. Like how did these guys know each other? Cause I wasn't sure. And then I remember the age gap. Cause then I remember thinking about my boys and I was like, this is so great. And so encouraging to see. So yeah, it was so awesome to have you on here. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate we, it. We typically ask one question, but Lindsay usually asks this one, but I think I'll just ask it today. If yeah. you could give one piece of advice to parents out there, what would it be? Oh, one piece. <laughs> Um, all right, here's one. Normalize uh, failure with your kids. Like, um, it's, I'll give this example. When, when your kids are crawling, right, and you, you stand them up and you're like, all right, they're going to take their first step. I could just feel it. They're like a year old, something like that. And like you're sitting on one side and then there's, you know, your partner, whoever sit on the other side and the kid takes their first step. They take their first step and then they right down, they fall. You, you, as parents, you're not just like, all right, you know what? The walking's not for you. We're going to, let's go back to crawling or just sitting on the ground. It's, it's okay. You don't have to do that anymore. Um, you, you stand them back up and, you know, they take another couple steps and then they fall down. And then all of a sudden, they're they're walking across the room. It's a little bit awkward and uncomfortable, but th- that's happening. Mm-hmm. As parents, well, I think there's a there's a point at, as kids get into school when all of a sudden there's just like a finite. They didn't do it right, so okay, it's over with that failure. It's a failure. What I like to say is to my kids, like, tell me something that you tried today and you weren't successful at. And what did you learn from that? And what do you want to learn next from that experience? Because here's the thing. As we try things, we learn ways not to do them. And then we also develop this level of resiliency. Like, I'm not going to give up. If I try to juggle right now, my guess is I'll throw three balls up in the air and they'll fall, they'll fall down. But if I'm like, okay, if I do this and then I learn if I put my hands here and I throw this ball, then all of a sudden, like, I start to get some rhythm with it. And then all of a sudden, after trying and trying and trying, I can juggle. And our brains are malleable. They're plastic. We are able, even at advanced ages, to be able to learn new skills. When kids are in these developmental years, they have the ability to learn new things. So as parents, embrace them failing. Like, it's okay that they're going through that. The other thing that helps them develop is the sense of, like, I took on a challenging task. I wasn't successful at first. Remember before I talked about the train tracks? I kept going and kept going, and now I was able to do that. So there are really, really powerful ways as parents to be able to do that. So that would be my my big like aha moment is like give kids an opportunity to to experience those difficult things, to embrace the idea of, of failing, and it's perfectly fine. And then as parents, my last thing is be a lighthouse for your kids. So if you need like a, an analogy, 
your kids are going to experience really challenging things in their life. They're going to, you know, if they're, if they're in the water in a boat as the analogy, right. As parents, some parents can look away. Like my, my dad could, could care less. He looked away. He was involved with his own life. So I was navigating all these difficult things by myself. I crashed up on the, on the rocks a couple different times. I learned, you know, some really challenging lessons that way. There are parents that get in the boat and they say, kid, get in the back. I'm going to steer the ship. Right. They want it's about them as a parent. If you could be a lighthouse to your kids. So here's what I'm going to do. You're out in the water. You're experiencing life, especially if you have a boy. They need to learn how to do dangerous things carefully. They need to experience adventure and things like that. It's part of who we are, you know, developmentally. So I'm a parent and I could shine a light out on the treacherous waters in front of them. Like, look, here's something that's a little bit dangerous. See it. I'm not going to do it for you, but I want you to see that. Also know that I am here guiding you as this light, as this beacon. I will always be here, but it's up to you to navigate these things. So as a parent, if you could be a lighthouse for your kids and they can know that you're there as a safety net, but also that they're going to do these things by themselves, that's a game changer. So, you know, as you're, as things come up, we have the propensity to want to come in and solve every problem for the, for the kid. It's okay to fail. We're still going to be here to support, but you will have to be able to do this on your own. Yeah, well, thank you again so much. And like we said earlier, we're going to link everything below. So if you want to find Dennis um, or have your child work with him, you'll be able to get that all below. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks so much, ladies.